We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. First pick in the 1991 NBA draft, the Charlotte Hornets select Larry Johnson from University of I'm not supposed to be here, man. A lot of people from where I'm from, you know, don't, don't make it. I'll be joined by co-host Lee today. Unfortunately, Richie and Spencer uh, not able to make it. Obviously, we could not plan ahead of today's big events regarding the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, Just before about noon uh, East Coast time today, uh, Adrian Wojnarski from ESPN breaks the news that the Hornets, I believe the words they used were they had relieved uh, James Borrego who just finished his fourth season as the head coach, uh, relieved him as his head coaching duties. Not too long after that, the team put out a statement about three paragraphs long about James Borrego. That was it seemingly signed, written, however you want to state it, by Mitch Kupchak, who uh, you know continues on as in his executive capacity with the franchise. But uh, yeah, here we go. James Borrego, four years done, just finished up his fourth season. And uh, with the best record that he's had as head coach, and he is out the door. Uh, Lee, what'd you think? Uh, I, I've got some thoughts here, but let's inside to the introduction here. Why don't you go ahead and take the baton from me? Thoughts on James Borrego? Thoughts on the decision? Um, you know, what exactly are the Hornets doing here? Right. Well, I mean, it's no surprise or secret to anyone who has even listened to us moderately consistently over the past. uh, Well, for me over the past year and for you guys much longer that like uh, from a general standpoint, I think we were all pretty big James Borrego fans. And I think we had uh, like fairly hard evidence to justify that that uh, fandom. Obviously, JB's first year was with Kemba. And his next three years were the post Kimba Walker era. So I think it's like fair to pretty much like separate those two uh, segments altogether. Like it's just a completely different roster, completely different expectations. Everything changed essentially after Kimba Walker left Charlotte. So, you know, you look at 
you know, you look at the you obviously you look at the offense he was able to create here. You look at the player development wins from Devontae Graham to Jalen McDaniels to Cody Martin to Miles Bridges to PJ Washington. I mean, you, you can kind of go on and on. Like there are fair criticisms, and I think we'll we'll get into those as well. But like it is indisputable that James Borrego was an incredible and his staff were incredibly effective from a grassroots player development standpoint. That is just 100% true. He also improved his win total and win percentage every single season. The defense got better, but maybe didn't get better quick enough. Obviously, there were massive like roster shortcomings there. Uh, but I think it's also I think it's fair to criticize that he was not able to build at least a league average defense. What I come back to, Brian, is like, Number one, if it was me, I would have given him another year. I felt he deserved that. I, I, I the, the two play-in losses are inexcusable, particularly in back-to-back seasons. Like the first one, you can kind of reason away a little bit. When it happens again the very next season in almost the exact same way, like I totally understand the frustrations there. That being said, this feels a bit reactionary. This feels a bit knee-jerk. And the number one thing I come to, and maybe this is a good way to pass it back to you, is like, okay, I understand the frustrations. I can even kind of like tangle my mind into like understanding why they did it. But then I go to how is the grass going to be greener and what's the plan? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I, I just did a radio hit with a WFNZ down in Charlotte like an hour ago. And the first question was posed to me was like, is this a good or a bad decision And I was like, well, without knowing who they're going to bring in, and that's something we should touch on briefly before we get out of here, but like, without knowing that, this doesn't look great. I mean, it feels rough. It feels rushed. I don't know, you know, I don't know at what point in time this move was decided. Like, but at the end of the day, it's like, you can't, I know the play and loss did not look great. They played very poorly down in Atlanta, but like, you really shouldn't be making these, and we don't know if this decision was made based off of optics. But it seems like that factors into the equation and I just you can't be really, really shouldn't be making these types of decisions based solely off of that. Right. And I get that the last two years, the directive has been get to the playoffs and James Rago, because he's the head coach, he's not a player. Like it's the easiest for the blame to fall at his feet and to yes. cut bait with him. And I think that matters maybe even more so than, um, than sort of like the bad play in losses or whatever. But James Rago is only but so has only but so much culpability for this team like not making the playoffs. Like we've discussed this ad nauseum the last two seasons. Like this these were an incomplete roster. They were trying to like build for the future around LaMelo and also win now the Gordon Hayward injuries, uh the LaMelo ball injury a season ago. Like so much stuff you know, went into this. James Rago was extended about nine months ago, last August. That's a great point. He was extended it's, last summer. <laughs> yeah. So it's a little, again, and, and at the time when that happened, it was sort of like, no, everything's copacetic on the same page with LaMelo. We like the development, like good, good, good. Like let's keep building it up here. And uh, yeah, then they go out and they win 43 games, <laughs> which is the most they've won as a franchise in probably six years. And um, they have a top six offense in the NBA. I know the defense was like a hot mess. And, I, and amazingly, they, they ended up finishing the season like 20th in defensive efficiency. But like, 
it felt like a bottom five defense for big chunks of the season. And I do think some of that you can put on Brago. I think most of it has to do with like the personnel of this roster, which was, um, you know, woefully incomplete in terms of like putting together a defensive, a team that could compete defensively. Like there is no point of attack defender really on the roster. There's very little rim protection. Um, they were forced to play zone and to scramble and to try to gin up turnovers out of necessity, not because it was like while well, they looked around and were like, wow, we really got the personnel to like play this style. You know, that to an extent they had good athletes on the roster in, in, in guys that can create turnovers or whatever, but they did that because they couldn't just like churn out stops on a possession by possession basis. Um, as far as James Rago goes, I'll say a couple of things. Lee, you touched on the player development thing. I think that's the, the first, like the top of the the top of the positive things that James Borrego did. You listed off some of the players. There's probably even a couple more we could name. Um, you know, we'll see what ends up happening with guys like you know JT Thor, Kai Jones. Those guys could be you know, sort of like the last guys of the Borrego development program because they did get you know this first season. Borrego coming in, it ushered in the the. the the organization taking itself more seriously. Like it syncs up with when Greensboro and the G league became more of a thing. It syncs up with like totally. the, the Hornets bringing their offense into the 21st century. Like it's hard to, yes. it's, it's easy to forget, but like the 2018, 2019 season, like moving Michael K Gilchrist jr. To like the four or some small ball five playing Jeremy lamb more, opening the lineup up for Kemba. And then thinking about that roster gets me back to just, you touched on this too, just like, the target moved every season for James Borrego. Like he comes in and initially it's, hey, get into the playoffs with Kemba so we can re-sign Kemba and, and keep building it up around that. Kemba leaves. Now you're in a rebuild mode. You have one season of rebuilding, only one season, and a year that was literally interrupted by a global pandemic. You come back <laughs> the next year and the directive is already, hey, time to start winning again. You know, totally. we, we just signed, we just spent $120 million on Gordon Hayward. Time to start winning again. And I know. And, and Brian, just like super quickly, it's also easy to forget that coming into that season after Kemba left, we had no idea that Devontae Graham was a rotational NBA player. No, like no. we went into that season. He came off the bench to start the year. Like Terry yes. Rozier was brought in to be the starting point yes. guard, which is like yes. a hilarious concept to even like think about at this point. And, uh, and yeah, so Borrego and his staff developing, I think Nate Mitchell is a guy that gets a lot of credit for the Devonte Graham development as well, but for, for, for them to bring Devonte along and then quickly insert him into the starting lineup and shift Rozier from the primary duties to this off ball capacity that has carried him and yes. had him play the best ball of his career and make, you know, a hundred million dollars yes. with this extension. Like Borrego is, you know, partially responsible for that. Other things I would say about Borrego, helping install a culture. Uh, I think there were towards the end of Clifford, t- Clifford's tenure, because when, when Steve Clifford showed up, he installed a culture as well. And then it felt loose for a little bit there, you know, towards the end. And, and then all of a sudden, James Borrego get, comes in and emphasis on player development, getting to the rim offensively, playing more small ball, being more creative, but installing sort of like some, I mean, defense notwithstanding, like some culture and some floor for like what should be expected out of the organization. And, um, and then the last thing that I would just say about uh, James Rago is like, as someone that charted the Hornets offense really heavily the last three seasons, um, all of which were under the guidance of James Rago, like a creative, for the most part, a pretty creative basketball mind in terms of concepts, uh, system, in-game adjustments, 
after timeout play calls and in finding stuff that would make that you could get the best out of guys like Miles Bridges, the best out of Terry Rozier. Um, and I think the, the last thing I would say, and I'm circling back a little bit here too, but like it should also be noted that when, when Charlotte flipped the switch to winning, and especially this season, it also came with the, hey, we didn't replace Devontae Graham. We did not replace Malik Monk. And now you just got to do this around LaMelo, like, which LaMelo is amazing. But 20-year-old point guard, still can't finish at the rim. Um, you know, so, it, like, again, the target just moved each and every season for him. But Brago's a good coach, not perfect. I have some of my gripes in terms of, like, lineup management, that sort of stuff. But definitely a good coach and, and a guy that, like, made Charlotte, to an extent, like, reputable. And uh, so, yeah, I'll, I'll be curious to see where they go from uh, from here. Yeah, it's just, you know, you you compare it to something like uh, – you compare it to something like Ron Rivera getting let go – uh, and and it's it's like it's not a, a, a strict comparison, but my, the point I'm trying to make is like it felt even though Ron Rivera did a really good job. Obviously, I'm talking about the former um, I'm talking about the former Carolina Panthers head coach. And but it felt like Rivera was kind of back on his way down, like he had taken the Panthers up. They had reached obviously like the pinnacle of the Super Bowl and Cam Newton's MVP season, winning the division a few times. And then they were kind of on this downtrend where it felt like Rivera had gotten stale. Like, it doesn't feel like Borrego's gotten stale yet to me. Like, it's felt like they were still on the uptrend. And I have always said, like, James Borrego has proven himself as, like, a young team rebuilding player development coach. He has not yet proven himself as a playoff coach. And we didn't, and we don't know that yet. But it just feels like they are cutting this a little short in my mind and one more year would have given you a bit more of a sample size, a bit more evidence to go off of. If they, if they struggle again and they flame out again, it becomes a much more serious conversation. It seems like they are cutting bait one year too soon in my mind. And, you know, if I'm trying to like steel man myself and see the other side of the argument, it really, I guess, is primarily based on the plan performances. But again, then that goes back to kind of what we were saying earlier. That just seems like that just seems like such a short-sighted knee-jerk reaction yeah. to base it all on that. Yeah, either, because, either either this guy is your guy, or he's not, yeah. you know, or he's right. not. And, and just to like make these decisions that have millions of dollars at stake. You know what I mean? Yeah. Based solely off of that. Which again was definitely not a good look. Was were two disappointing results, albeit without your most expensive player in both of those games. But yeah, sorry, I didn't want to interrupt. Uh, my my apologies no, there. But yeah, it's, no, like, it's, it's like that's just there's too much at stake to base it off those two things. If that's all that went into it, you know what I mean? Right. Exact. Exactly. And. And, and like I find the it's almost probably not even worth bringing up, but like I find the the criticisms of like, uh, you know, all, all the LaMelo stuff, like just completely unfounded in my mind. Like this team has put this organization has put as much responsibility and playmaking 
and on LaMelo's shoulders. Like, I feel the LaMelo situation has been handled incredibly well. I think he's progressing in a fine manner. Although, like, obviously in the last pod, we broke down a couple of things we think he still needs to get better at. There's nothing wrong with that. It just feels like there's a lot of unfounded criticism out there. And it feels like all of the legitimate nuanced criticism, which is fair and reasonable and perfectly willing to talk about, and we have been talking about, it's it's not quite enough for me to feel like they should be making this change unless they have somebody lined up that is, yeah. you know, that that is very, very experienced and proven, which we'll see, I guess. But like the playoffs are still in full swing and, you know, I'm sure there's a couple names we can throw around, but yeah. let, I, let, let's do that here. Cause I, I've yeah. got actually run in, in a couple yep. of minutes here. So um, again, we were not prepared to do this. We did the report no. card episode <laughs> last night. We were going to do the second half of the report card episode, record that over the weekend. So, yeah, this we had to do it for the people, though. Yeah, exactly. But so some names to throw out. I mean, I saw Spencer tweet this out on Twitter. It's a great one to mention. Uh, but Frank Vogel, if you could somehow get Vogel in as a guy that can coordinate and organize a defense, even without even with, you know, imperfect parts, um, I think you could pretty much quell the Westbrook to Charlotte trade rumors if somehow Vogel please, was brought into here. Um, I don't see that being the guy, but like he would be a, a phenomenal uh, you know, hire. I guess Mark Jackson, he always gets brought up in these discussions. Mark yeah. Jackson would not be my pick, but um, as you may remember, like the last two seasons at Golden State, he did at least a decent job helping that thing get off the ground. I mean, obviously Kerr came in and it really jumped up from there. But uh, getting the Warriors from being like, you know, so so not great to being a playoff team to winning a playoff series in 2013, I suppose there's something there. But he just always gets com- comes up in these conversations. Uh, Mike D'Antoni is a guy that like mm. you know, would be so much fun to see wow. he and Lamelo teamed up. But just given I guess some of his like misgivings as a defensive coach, I can't right. imagine him being the guy or if he would be interested in this. Like he may want more of like a win now program. Then the Hornets, who are like, you know, they just finished 10th place in the Eastern Conference. Um, maybe someone like Terry Stotts is another name I saw getting thrown around. But again, that gets back to sort of like he was, I think, hit or miss at times as like a defensive coach. But my guess is they're they're going to go older, more experienced. Um, in- I got two names for you to react to. Yeah, um, let's hear first, first is uh, Kenny Atkinson. That's another name that has to get mentioned. I would, I would be – very much here for that, by the way. I would agree. Like, it feels like a situation that makes sense for him and for us. Obviously, for anybody who's not aware, Kenny Atkinson was the coach of the Brooklyn Nets prior to Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving coming in. And kind of like, uh, I would say almost unanimously is like very respected as a young player development coach. He did a really good job with with all those young players Brooklyn had before they kind of shook that roster up. So I'm with you, BG. Like that seems like a, like a, a fair name to bring up. The only other one I was going to mention is if the jazz flame out to a Luca less, uh, Dallas team, could Quinn Snyder be available? And do you like that fit at all? Yeah. I mean, I would, I would very much, I think Quinn Snyder is a a terrific coach. This team wide meltdown, notwithstanding uh, where Utah is. You know, it seems like L.A., the Lakers are interested in him. I think some of the reporting seem to sort of indicate that. But, yeah, Snyder is a, is a phenomenal basketball coach. And uh, I, think he would, I think he would do very well with guys like Terry Rozier and LaMelo Ball. And, yeah, I think they would 
they would they would jump up a level. Atkinson's been the number two guy, I think, for Steve Kerr, or maybe the number, you know, sort of like the number three guy. I think Mike Brown is still out there with the Warriors, uh-huh. but a top flight assistant coach was with the Clippers last year. You know, before that, a couple of years with the Nets, brought them out of irrelevancy into being a, a you know solid playoff team before Kyrie and Kevin Durant uh, kind of pushed them out the door. But an assistant with Mike Budenholzer at Atlanta, so pretty good resume to begin with. Um, the last decade plus in the NBA as a head coach or as an assistant, so Atkinson makes a lot of sense. Snyder would be like, yeah, in my opinion, like uh, an A plus higher. Um, but I just don't, I don't see that. I, I know he spent time. He went to college at Duke. Um, right. You know, he worked on Mike Shevsky's staff there, so he has he has somewhat of a footprint um, in the state as a college coach and a college player. But that's one that's a little hard for me, a little more far fetched for me to uh, to see. So I would I would say unlikely on Snyder. Atkinson though is a name that you're like, yeah, I could I could just very easily see that, you know. Yeah, and and my like last thought here basically is just reiterating something we both kind of said earlier. That is. Who they hire will obviously affect my opinion of this in a big way. Uh, I've we've both already stated how we feel in the moment, and I feel like I could either be smoothed over or I could get furious, depending (laughs) depending on who it is. It's a lot of it's a lot of variance here, and again, all this is fresh. This news is only about two and a half hours old at this point from when we're recording this. Um, but just look, salute to Coach Borrego or James Borrego. He did a, yeah. I thought he did a, a good job here um, Agreed. overall. And um, yeah, I think I'll be curious. To, I'm hopeful that he'll be able to land on his feet, most likely as an assistant, but maybe get another head coaching job at some point in time. And yeah, just him, what he did uh, for this franchise, um, I, I don't think will be forgotten um, You know, too soon. Uh, the good, bad, and the ugly of it. You know, yep. the defense, the the flameouts and the play-in, but just really what he did from a culture, player development standpoint, X and O standpoint, uh, does stand out. Um, so he'll be missed, and there are some relatively big shoes for Charlotte to fill because he he was a pretty solid coach. So with that, this has been uh, an emergency James Borrego-fired uh, episode of the BuzzBeat podcast. Uh, that's been Lee, along with myself, Brian Geisinger. Thank you for listening. Uh, make sure to rate, review on Apple, Spotify, all that good stuff. And then obviously part two of our player grades uh, coming out early next week with uh, Terry Rozier, Miles Bridges, PJ Washington, and Mason Plumley. Uh, everyone take care. Have a good weekend. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.